Hey everyone, Beth Barani here. Welcome back to How to Write the Future podcast. This is a podcast where we help fiction writers and futurists and anyone who cares about creating new visions of the future. We help you create positive, optimistic visions because I believe that what we vision, we help make it so. Today, I'm very excited to present a guest interview with Vanessa Sage, PhD. I've met Vanessa years ago in some fabulous networking group I was in, and I want to share with you who is Vanessa. Vanessa Sage, PhD, is a cultural anthropologist with a doctorate from McMaster University. She is a trained mindfulness-based coach, teacher, writer, and conscious leadership and business mentor. Vanessa combines a strong critical mind with a childlike sense of wonder to seek to understand multiple perspectives and remain hopeful in a challenging world. Resilient, determined, and with an incredible ability to step out of her comfort zones, Vanessa is carving a new path for others to feel at ease in their skins, find joy in the everyday, and live a life of peace and purpose. Oh my gosh, Vanessa, I just love your bio. Wow. I am so excited. Everyone, please meet Vanessa Sage. Vanessa, welcome. Thank you so much for being here and agreeing to have a conversation with me. I'm so grateful. Oh, I'm so, so happy to be here. You're the first person to read my new bio, actually. So it feels very special to hear it and definitely a hard one. <laughs> yeah, hard one. I laugh, everyone. <laughs> Yeah. Tell me about that. What do you mean hard one? Say a little more. Well, I hear some of what I had written about myself. And before we came on, we were talking about the creating new futures for yourself. And part of that is, is stating out loud what the vision is, and while also acknowledging some of the challenges in the past and know where I've been and the resilience it has taken to still be smiling and laughing here with you today. And yeah, I just... It's kind of what I was reflecting on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is so beautiful. And I feel like your example is calling me to try that. I feel like my bio is so outer facing. There's some of my humor and other things, but it's like, oh, I want to try that. I want to try writing a bio that is stating really the forward facing perspective that I have and acknowledging the challenges of the past I think that's such a beautiful exercise. I teach novelists how to write their author bio. And it's like, wow, how could I, how can we incorporate that awareness in our author bio? And also your bio, and I have a professional bio too. Like, how can I have my professional bio reflect this new stance that I'm stepping into as well? It's such an invitation. So thank you. It's just a great lesson right there. (laughs) So thank you so much. Yeah. I know I'm in the right place. We're already geeking out about writing our bios. I know. <laughs> totally. I have a master document that's just called bio. And every time I pitch to be a speaker or a podcast guest or a teacher, I have this great compendium of bios I've been writing for maybe it's about two or three or four years old. And I'll just put in the new bio and I have different lengths, the short version, the long version, the super long version. And of course, I customize it for every single pitch because I want it to be fresh. I want it to be present time. I want to be thinking of the audience that I'm talking to. So it's just, yeah, I totally geek out about (laughs) the bio. (laughs) Yeah, great. Well, I know I was initially inspired to reach out to you to have an interview because of your talk in your newsletter about the wild woman 
archetype. Also, I have to throw in Barbie because I read your analysis of Barbie. There were no spoilers in it, but it was the first thing I had read about the movie because I had been staying away from all the sneak peeks and everything that encouraged me to go because before I just saw people dressed up in pink standing outside of the theater and I'm like, whatever. I didn't play with dolls. I never had a Barbie as far as I remember. What's the big deal? And then your presentation, your discussion and your rave review of the movie. So I don't know if Barbie really relates to wild woman archetype. I feel like there's something happening in the zeitgeist, in the culture. And I care very much about this topic because I write my novels are all with strong female protagonists. And that's what I care to to be oriented toward for many, many years now. So your turn. <laughs> Lots of things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for your response to that. And, you know, that newsletter is now out on my blog. So anyone can read it now. And I wrote that it was a response to Sinead O'Connor's passing to the Barbie movie, also Mary Magdalene. It was around Mary Magdalene's feast day. But then also a kind of new coming out of myself, a kind of, I, I started it off by talking about how I'd always been the smile, pretty good girl, and how in my experience of being a woman for myself, how I had kind of suppressed the wildness within me, the punk within me, the controversial thoughts, the controversial things that I want to say, and in a sense, abandoned myself. And that we live in a world where we both celebrate the wild woman archetype, but we're also clamping down on people like the call out culture and the cancel culture, all that kind of stuff where there's almost like, it's almost so difficult to get the words out because you're afraid you're going to say something wrong. And it was also a kind of piece where I related to Barbie in a way, because Barbie at the, this is really all I say in the blog, and it's so, the movie has been out for so long, I think we can handle some spoilers, mm -hmm. but Barbie basically has an existential crisis and leaves everything that she knew and everything that she thought about herself and the ways in which she had been this kind of smile, pretty good girl in order to go out into the real world and be confronted with that and find out who she really was. And I related to that because it's been kind of my story over mm -hmm. the last few years. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it just kind of poured out of me. It's one mm -hmm. of those moments when in a, as a, in a writer's life where it's just, you know, those special moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't necessarily recreate every single day, but it, it felt mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah, it was it was kind of addressing a lot of different things and at a kind of cultural moment that felt relevant as well mm -hmm. with, with Sinead O'Connor's passing and also the mm -hmm. Barbie movie, kind of both juxtaposed. And I was very conscious of the fact that Sinead O'Connor would have hated the Barbie movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's kind of a commentary on the range of controversy and how much can we hold? Can we hold a range of perspectives mm -hmm. as well, which I'm very interested in? Yeah, yeah. I think that's the challenge of our modern era when we have access to so much information, so many different kinds of stories, and yet people seem to act as if there's only one or two kinds of stories. You've been abroad. I've lived abroad. It's like there are so many stories. Why do people act 
especially I see it here in the U.S. since I'm a U.S. citizen, they act as if their story, and maybe they don't know other stories, but as if it's the truth. And I've known since I was a teenager and I was a little Jewish girl going to a Catholic school. Yeah, I knew there was more than just even those two religions already. I already knew of the five major religions. And here was someone telling me, this is the one truth. And I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) As teenagers do, excuse me? So same with stories, same with being a woman. I have been confronted in a science fiction and fantasy conference, a con where people are telling me, well, women should be this and women should be that. And I'm like raising my hand. I'm in the audience. I'm like, excuse me. Every single woman gets to define that for themselves. Who And you, Mr. Man, who are you to tell me what is a woman? And I feel like we're circling around that conversation. Like there's so many different archetypes of being a woman. There's the wild woman. There's the punk. There's the rebel, right? There's the mother. There's the one on the fringe who's saying the truth. I don't know Sinead O'Connor's story deeply, but I feel like she was out there on the edge pointing outward saying, other possibilities and then pointing inward saying, what the hell, man? Totally just calling everyone out. And I feel like why are, I understand there's historical reasons why Barbie was considered that ideal. And I never got it because I never, ever looked like that, acted like that, cared about those things. Anyway, I'm just a little bit reeling (laughs) with all these different ways of being in the world. And we all have an opportunity to explore different ways of being. And isn't that great? I think that's incredible that we can do that in this day and age. Yeah, I think it really is. I don't know about you, but for me, it's taken a lot of inner strength to really root in and be confident in who I am. And while allowing for multiple perspectives, I'm a cultural anthropologist, so I am literally trained to seek to understand another's perspective and not to put my own perspective on them. That's called ethnocentrism. So I've been trained as a cultural relativist where we really truly must listen. We must understand someone's point of view from their own worldview, from their own, from their perspective. So to navigate in that way, but then also be very clear in my own voice, to be very clear in who I am. I'm also queer. If someone shouts at me on the street calling me names, Maybe I can understand that, but I also don't have to take it. I also don't have to take that into myself and say, oh, you must be right. I'll just take that discrimination into myself and believe it. So it's this kind of surfing, you know, surfing our realities a little bit, but staying clear and strong. Yeah. So so we don't drown. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) we metaphor to this. Right. Go all the way to the edge. Yeah. How can we have compassion for the other points of view, but not believe them or buy into them? And you're right. I think it takes a great fortitude. I think as a child, I was very unconsciously confident. But as I became a teenager, I was very withdrawn and shy and probably super sensitive to everybody's perspectives on me. To develop as an artist over the last, it's hard to say how many years, a good 25 years focusing on learning how to be a fiction writer and coming out in that way, it was hard. It was very hard, especially with my first novel. I remember how scared I was to release that into the world. And I admit, I understand intellectually why people would say, clamp down on the way women should be in the world. It's a long, long, long millennia, double millennia, triple millennia long history of controlling women so that the wildness in us doesn't, I don't know, offend their sense of order. I don't know. I mean, I've actually been on a hunt for many years now to try and understand 
what happened to humanity that we would go from a lot of there's a lot of ancient egalitarian societies where all the jobs were split evenly including hunting 50% of women now they have come to realize were hunters and i definitely feel like i would have been one of those hunters so what happened to go from an egalitarian type societies cultures to this whole male dominant female subservient because of the power of women you know and so i grew up in a feminist family with a long tradition of feminism but going back several generations but i don't yeah i've never understood this i actually was turned to my mother at 16 years old i'm like mom how come there isn't equality between men and women mm-hmm. I-, i thought mm-hmm. there was i grew up in this household where feminism was held up and discussed and women had roles and voices and you know, it wasn't perfect but yeah so i'm still struggling with that <laughs> and as we come back to the wild woman archetype yeah wild wild why why can't we be wild why not we are wild already we can claim that if we want if that's important to us So anyway those are some thoughts that I'm ruminating on and yeah I'd love to know your perspective because of your yeah, background because of your the cultural anthropology background and all of your studies and diving deep into the mysteries yeah I'm curious what you can share on that Well first of all I also grew up with a feminist mother feminism wasn't even a choice <laughs> in my life. I think that that was a real gift because even if you do go out into the world and you're confronted with what is going on, there is a felt sense within your body that there's something wrong. There's something wrong out going on. It's not me. The question of women's subordination is a massive one and an important one and I think it's multi-leveled. One is mythic one is the imagination and i think with your interest in telling positive stories of the future and imagining the future to understand as well that our present has been imagined right and that there's an unhooking of past imaginations that needs to be done right so when mythically war becomes valorized and the goddess becomes suppressed for example dragons whenever you see a dragon being slayed that's the goddess being slayed mythically right lilith is connected with the dragon <laughs> it's fascinating when you start diving into that's why i think the ancient myth and the ancient past is so relevant in the present because we do need to understand where some of our assumptions come from we're born into the world children ready to learn what are we learning what are we teaching our children and this is why it's so important that we tell different stories and we have new hopeful imaginations because you know as i was listening to some of your past podcasts it is important that we tell a new story because we do create that future when we do it so we want a more egalitarian world we have to include that in our stories in all ways right and we love stories we're still really just sitting around the fire listening to stories you know it is this is why we watch netflix it's why the movies <laughs> movie industry is so big so you know to get those kinds of stories out into the world out into the culture it's important and when you do that you're contributing to a better world mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know i think we can go back even mythically and say okay well maybe maybe the dragon's not going to get slayed you know 
Like just as that one example, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Rewrite it. We can't Mm -hmm. change the past, but we can revise the present and the future. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't read my book, Henrietta the Dragon Slayer, but it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek choice that I made to call her that. And it's not the ending you expect. I had her really change her ways. And yet she confronts a dragon in that story. She finds herself in front of a dragon in a completely unexpected way. And I really wanted to upend. It wasn't totally conscious, but I knew that it would end up differently for her. Her past was a dragon slayer. Her present in the story and the further stories is something else. And I wanted to play with a strong young woman who is completely capable, but who is now confronted with new choices because she's desiring for something new. And that's what I notice I'm playing with in, in that particular series of stories is that what we think is the monster isn't necessarily what we have been taught. I guess that would be a great summary, especially for the stories that I'm working on now and the little TV series that I want to do for Henrietta and her friends. It feels like our culture has taught us to be afraid of certain things, but those things are actually not the things, not the true monsters. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, and we've been taught to be afraid of our wildness. We have. And what I think is really interesting, and one of the things that I was writing about is that women themselves are afraid of other women's wildness. The story that we often talk about in feminism is men against women. I think we may be past that, especially when we look at gender fluidity and all of just the fabulous, marvelous ways in which we can all express ourselves, you know. But one of the stories that we don't tell is the ways that women can turn on each other. And one of the things that really helped me was a friend of mine introduced me to the concept of lateral violence, where minority groups will turn on each other because we don't really have anywhere else to go. And when you don't have power in the world and you think power is scarce, it becomes easier and easier to then try and gain that power through overpowering other people. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. it totally makes sense. Yeah, that's a very powerful term, lateral violence. I grew up being aware that women could snipe on other women and having had that experience myself. And also I've learned as an adult that I have a kind of personality that either people are in sync with or like, yay, or other people see me as a challenge because I do show up in the world as a challenge. Like I have a challenge for you. I can be dismissed because I am too challenging or because I don't show up in a typical way, but it can show up like people are like, who are you? Because I'm not making any excuses for what I'm doing. I'm also not, I'm not putting myself in their face, but it's hard for me to express. I don't know if you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What am I talking about? Tell me, tell me, Vanessa, what am I talking about? (laughs) I don't know for sure. I think what I'm hearing, because I'm not you and I'm not in your experience. What I think what I'm hearing is that it's easy to be dismissed as a woman, but then it's also easy to be dismissed for being a challenging and a strong woman. Yeah. Right. And I've felt that way in my own way. I think when I started letting go of the smile, pretty good girl, right? Because that was palatable. 
That's something that in order to be heard, give a nice smile, right? Sorry, my cat. My cat is being wild as we're speaking right now. It's distracting me. I have a loud voice. I have strong thoughts. And I am also highly educated in a world where that's not as common for women. I don't know the stats. I should probably learn them. But I would be surprised if I found out that it was equal men and women getting doctoral degrees. And I am a pointer of elephant out in rooms. And so I I know what it's like to be a strong woman in the world and, and not be met just as a person, take my gender out of the conversation, take what I'm wearing out of the conversation, take whether I'm wearing makeup or not wearing makeup, if I'm heels or not heels, not wear because I can't, but like, just meet me as I am. And I think that's something that biological men receive. That's one of the things that they get is that they actually can go into a room and be taken seriously, just for being who they are. And they don't have to apologize for it. They don't have to diminish it. They don't have to smile pretty for it. They can just come in, be confident, be strong, and not be called a bitch. They're just confident. Thanks for listening to part one of my interview with Vanessa Sage. Stay tuned for part two, where we continue our conversation about Barbie and the wild woman archetype. If you would like to get some writing support, For your science fiction or fantasy novel, I recommend that you sign up for our world building workbook. It's a PDF that will allow you to think about key aspects of your story world. And there's some tips in there on exactly how to do that. So you can check out the show notes for the link or just go to howtowritethefuture.com and you'll find it. All right, everyone, that's it for now. So write long and prosper. 